Have you ever said, well, we went on vacation and I just fell off the wagon? Or maybe you've said, I was bad this weekend. Or have you ever found yourself eating food just to not let it go to waste? These are just three of the seven most common self-sabotaging thoughts. So in today's episode, we're going to get into those seven most common self-sabotaging thoughts and best of all, what to do about them. Ready? Let's get to it. Do you ever feel like you know all the diet rules about eat this, but not that, and so you know what to do, but you just have a hard time actually doing it? I'm here to tell you, you are not the problem. Hi, I'm Lizzie. Welcome to the Confident Body Podcast, where we talk about all the mental and emotional parts of weight loss that diets don't tell you. It's time to step past the shame and the guilt from old diets and stop feeling like you're waiting to lose weight in order to fully participate in life. If you're ready to drop the diet mindset and learn what it takes to truly feel happy and confident in your own skin, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Well, hello there. What is going right today for you in your world today? For me, something that's going right is I got a chance to watch my son play in a basketball game, and that was pretty great just to watch him get to play. I really enjoy that. So today... We are going to conclude our three-part series on self-sabotage. In the first episode on self-sabotage, we talked about the four most common categories that self-sabotaging thoughts fall into and how it is completely normal that you would have self-sabotaging thoughts and it's just your brain trying to protect you. Again, those four categories are uh, low self-esteem. I had to remember them there for a second. Low self-esteem, fear of change, fear of failure, and fear of success. In the second self-sabotaging episode, we talked about, okay, we know that self-sabotage is normal. Everybody has capacity for self-sabotage if you have a human brain. It is just your brain trying to protect you. So great. What do you do about it? The three-step process to take self-sabotage and turn it around is number one, you got to have awareness. You can't change something if you don't know what it is. Number two, Use your redirect routine. Use that old limiting belief, that self-sabotaging thought as a trigger to purposefully, proactively practice your new thought. And number three, practice, 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 practice. The more you practice that empowering thought, the more you will train your brain to say, oh, hey, we're doing things differently around here now. We're going to try something new. And today in part three of our self-sabotage series, we're going to talk about the seven most common self-sabotaging thoughts and how they come up and what to do about them. So I have a feeling you may recognize one or seven of these different thoughts. I know I certainly have plenty of these going on for me at various times, even still. So it all happens to us all the time. So number the number one most common self-sabotaging thought is I fell off the wagon. Ugh. Have you ever had a day where you started off great and you're like, I'm, I'm going to have a healthy breakfast and things are going good. And by the afternoon, you're like, oh, I'm kind of feeling tired. Maybe I'll have a little snack. And suddenly you kind of went a little overboard and you're like, oh, I, I, I blew it. I've, I've had too much. So I guess I'll just, you know, have the box of crackers and, a, you know, a couple of brownies and a three slices of pizza as well. Falling off the wagon happens to everybody. There is, there is no person who doesn't fall off the wagon. And falling off the wagon often gets coupled with all or nothing, all or nothing thinking. All or nothing thinking is actually been scientifically labeled as the quote unquote, what the hell effect. There is scientific research that people 
uh, have a thought of like, once they've made a mistake, they say, well, I've, I've blown it. So I might as well eat whatever I want. And this is a real thing. You can look it up. And the way that this couples with falling off the wagon is we tell ourselves, well, I fell off the wagon. Now I need to start over from scratch. I might as well just enjoy whatever I want to eat. So I'm going to start fresh tomorrow or Monday or after the holidays. All or nothing thinking is one of the biggest challenges of dieting. And it is dieting that creates this problem in the first place because a diet says you have to follow these rules or it's not going to work. And so we give ourselves these rules. And as soon as we mess up just a little bit, we think, oh, I might, I might as well just quit and start over. It is the rules of the diet that create all or nothing thinking. And so what I would challenge you to realize is that weight loss has screw ups. Every single success story has screw ups, has mess ups. Expect it. Plan for it. Accept that you are going to mess up from time to time. Let me ask you this. What do you think is the difference between people who are successful at weight loss and those who are not? I'll give you a hint. It is not the ones that followed their plan perfectly. It is not the ones who didn't have a mistake were eventually successful. The people who are successful at weight loss, the only difference is that the people who are successful, when they make mistakes, they simply keep going. That's it. That is the skill of weight loss is that when you make a mistake, when you slip up, you keep going. You dust yourself off. You say, okay, what can I learn from that? And you keep going. You know, when I was really into my phase of like trying to accomplish the after picture of trying to get to this place where I was like, I I have reached the pinnacle of the after picture, I would feel like I could be really on track for like three weeks, three to six weeks, somewhere in there. And then something would happen, like we would travel to go visit family, or um, somebody would get sick, or, you know, maybe there was a, a weird weekend where things kind of got off track. And I'd be like, dang it, I was I was doing so well, I was really on track. And now it's all messed up. And I would that would really frustrate me. But then over time, I began to realize that these screw ups, these slip ups, these off track moments began to be kind of predictable, kind of regular. I mean, I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But somewhere between three and six weeks, something would come along that would be out of the ordinary, and it would mess up my progress. Maybe we would travel somewhere. And I began to think, okay, if this is predictable, then maybe it's not out of the ordinary. Maybe I can expect that thing that's going to derail my progress is coming along. And so when it happens, it can be like, oh, I just knew that was going to happen. So, you know, on, I'll just get back right back on track. And changing my mindset about that was such a game changer. Instead of feeling like, oh, I was doing so good and everything's just been wrecked, I could say I was doing so good and a normal life event like travel or people come to visit or something happened and I didn't eat as perfectly, but I'm just going to get right back on track. It's not a big deal. So what I would encourage you to think about is things happen. Life is going to happen. It is normal. It is expected. So instead of feeling like you've got to be perfect and when you're not, then, you know, you might as well just, you know, throw it all up in the air. Instead, expect those things to come along. And a minute ago, I was talking about how it is the diet, the diet mentality that gets in the way that we have to follow the rules. What if you never went on a diet again? What if I told you you are not allowed to ever diet again? 
and you'd be like, well, I still want to lose weight. Great. You can lose weight by not going on a diet. You can just choose, I'm going to eat a vegetable today. I'm going to stop eating after eight o'clock today. And maybe I'll try again tomorrow. It's not a diet. It's just a change in my behavior. What if you just let go of the idea of going on a diet and never again have that diet mentality and just, I'm making choices. And that frees you up so that when you make a choice that is less than healthy, you're not off the wagon. You didn't screw up. You're simply making a choice. And that helps you to realize that you're never more than your next choice away from being right back on track. You're only one choice away from being right back on track. So there is no wagon. There is no diet. You're always just your next choice away from being right back on track. Alrighty, the second most common self-sabotaging thought is food labeling. How many times have you heard yourself say, I was good today, or I've been good this week, or I was bad this weekend? You know, let's just look at at the words here for a second. Good, bad. We are labeling ourselves and our food in like a morality sense, a sense of like, I am good if I eat healthy food. I am bad if I eat cake or, you know, less nutritious food. So let's, let's see if we can separate the food from the morality of things. You are, you know, it's not like you stole something from somebody. You're not good or bad based on what you eat. You just ate food, you know, at at its very basic level. Food is a collection of nutrients. You know, there there are different levels. You know, an apple has a different level of nutrients than a marshmallow, but it's still just, it's still nutrients. And so there is no, you know, goodness or badness to the collection of nutrients in your food. There are foods that are more nutritious to your body, and there are foods that are less nutritious to your body, but it's not a morality judgment. In addition to that, food is so much more than just fuel. For those people who can say food is fuel, good for them. In my opinion, food is, it can be so many things. It can be a sense of safety. It can be a way to express love. It can be communion between family and loved ones. It's it's a joyous, amazing experience. And if so, if you label this food, that maybe like traditional food that you enjoy with your family as bad, then you're putting this sort of heavy cloud of morality around what could be a beautiful, joyous occasion to, you know, congregate with your family. There's no need to do that. What would it be like to let go of the shame and the guilt associated with some of those foods that might be a little bit less nutritious and just try and look at it from a point of view of more more nourishing or less nourishing? Food is not just fuel. It can be so much more than that. That's why food is not bad or good. Part of living a full life is enjoying the foods that you love. But the idea is to eat them when you're actually hungry. And so you can truly enjoy them and be present with that food rather than eating them in secret or as a a source of comfort or a way to gloss over your emotions. Most of us overeat because we're trying to solve our feelings with food. Give yourself the respect to know that your feelings are important and worth paying attention to rather than stuffing them over with food. All right, you've got this. Okay, the third most common 
self-sabotaging thought is, I don't want to let food go to waste. Ooh, how many of us sat at our tables when we were little youngins and somebody said, there are starving children in Africa, clean your plate. Did you know that they're actually the clean your plate, excuse me, the clean plate club is a real thing. Towards the end of World War I, Woodrow Wilson created the U.S. Food Administration to help ration food to make sure that there were, to make sure that the limited post-war supplies, you know, didn't go to waste, that everybody had enough. And so he tasked future president Herbert Hoover with leading an organization to create an advertising campaign so that they could promote clean your plate to school-aged children to help make the most of the supplies that were available after World War I. Get this, they even made kids sign a clean plate pledge. It said, food will win the war, don't waste it. This was World War I. And then it was used again in the, the Depression and again during World War II. And so generations of people have grown up with the advertising campaign of clean your plate. It is good for the country to eat all the food on your plate. And yet, here we are all these years later, and we're still operating under that same advertising campaign that does not apply anymore. Our, our situation, certainly geopolitically, but also with our bodies, is way different. How is it useful to your body to eat food when you're not hungry? How does it help you? Here's something that really blew my mind when I first thought about it, or when actually it was explained to me. Okay, so you've bought food and the money is spent. That's called a sunk cost. The money is already gone. You can't get it back. And the food is in the house. You don't want it. Like, let's say, um, you know, people came to visit. And so you bought some extra snacks and chips and, you know, donuts or whatever in the house. And so they've left, but there's leftover food in the house. It is there. And the, the reason why it was there is no longer present. So you could either eat it or put it in the trash. I suppose you could possibly give it away as well, but let's just go with, you could eat it or you could put it in the trash. It is not saving money to eat it. The money is spent. It is gone. It's not coming back. So if you choose to eat it, instead of putting it in the trash can, you are basically putting food that is worthy of the trash can in your body instead. Whoa. So you're using your body as the trash can. All that does is put that it hurts your body and it doesn't help your wallet. So thinking about, you know, there are starving children in Africa. How does you eating more food help those children? It doesn't. There are lots of things you can do to help people in need, but eating the food that you don't want is not one of them. There are lots of things you can do to be more economical with your food. Meal planning is a big one, but eating food that you don't want is not one. Okay, so finishing your plate or that bag of chips or a bottle of wine, it leaves that old pattern, those old stories in your subconscious mind where they are underneath your surface of your awareness. And then you can't do anything about them if you don't bring them up where you can see them. Examining those thought patterns takes work and your goals are on the other side of that awareness. All right, number four, the number four most common self-sabotaging thought is worry. What if I gain all the weight back? What if I try another diet and it doesn't work? Oh, we are, a lot of us are so familiar with worry. I know, I certainly am. Worry is tomorrow's fear showing up today. 
but it's normal. It's you're human. Worry is simply your subconscious mind searching for a guarantee. Your brain wants a promise that this effort that you're putting in is going to be worth it, that you're not going to fail, that you're not going to backslide. It's okay. It's completely normal that your brain is trying to protect you from that fear. I love the way that Liz Gilbert talks about fear. She says that, you know, me and fear, we're going on a trip. Uh, I'm going to butcher this quote, but basically she's like, fear gets a voice, but not a vote. I imagine her, she talks about it being in a car and like fear is in the backseat and we all get are going on a trip together, but I'm the one that's driving because you can't get rid of fear. You can't tell fear to, you know, stay on the curb. It is always coming with you. It is, it's good. It's your brain trying to protect you. But acknowledge that fear and say, hey, I see you. You're allowed to be here, but I'm the one in charge. I'm the one driving. And so when we worry about whether the weight's going to come back on or whether we're even going to you know, lose it in the first place, when that worry comes up, it's just your brain trying to protect you and looking for a guarantee. And when you get spooled up in those thoughts, your brain can use the smallest, teeniest little bit of mistake and blow it out of the proportion and be like, see, I told you. See, I knew this wouldn't work. See, I knew I'd gain the weight all back. That's why it's so important to address your mindset when you're embarking on a lifestyle change. Who would want to reach their goal weight only to get to a place where you're not happy because you're worrying all the time about whether or not you're going to get it back? The whole idea, the whole point of losing weight in the first place is to feel good. And nobody wants to get to that place where you've lost the weight and you don't feel good. So allow the fear to be seen. Let it, let yourself be, have awareness around that fear and say, I see you. And I know that I can have the courage to keep going anyway. When those thoughts come up, it's not a problem. It's a signal. It's an invitation to proactively choose the thoughts that are more constructive and more helpful for you. Hey, brains, brains are great and they need supervision and direction. Your brain is a tool and it will do what it's told if you tell it what to do. Remember, our default programming is to look for what's wrong, to look for what could go wrong. It is normal. It's our default thanks to evolution. And so if you want to have positive thoughts, if you want to feel happy when you get to the goal weight, if you want to feel happy today, you've got to proactively choose the thoughts that get you there. But have a better conversation with yourself. It must That must be the place to start because I guarantee you that keeping those old self-loathing thoughts around will lead you down the same path you've always been down. Expecting to be fearless is perfectionist thinking. Every time you try something new, there's going to be some fear and worry there because you've never done it before. It's okay. The fear is there and it gets a voice, but it doesn't get a vote. Okay, number five, comparison. Oh boy, comparison is a thief of joy, right? That feels so true. And it also feels kind of guilty. Like, oh, I'm not supposed to compare myself to others. I know I should just be above that. And actually, it's completely human nature to compare ourselves to others because we want to be part of the tribe. Literally fitting in with the tribe meant survival in caveman days. And so to be ostracized by the tribe meant death. And so our brains developed a natural tendency to look to others and compare ourselves to them to check in and see, am I assimilating with the tribe? Am I, am I doing okay within the tribe or am I on the outskirts and do I need to be afraid? So when you compare yourself to others, 
It's normal. It's okay. You're not doing anything wrong. Like you're a human. You're try- your brain is trying to fit in with the tribe. However, these days, the tribe tells us that fitting in means looking like the models on the billboards or the TV screens, which are Photoshop. So that's not even real. So our brains feel bad because it feels like we are outside of the norm of the tribe. That's number one. And also comparing ourselves to others doesn't feel that great because when I find myself falling short, that can turn my thoughts to envy and that can show up in a couple different ways. Um, I'll tell you a story. One time uh, when we lived in Guam, uh, Guam is amazing and it's beautiful, but you've got to be pretty much okay with either being sweaty, sandy, or your hair has been windblown because of the sea breeze always going up. So because of that, I pretty much wore a baseball hat and workout clothes for an entire year. And I was like, I'm not even going to try. Also, when we would go to preschool pickup to get the kids after school, there was this mom there who was super cute and she like looked nice and she had done her hair and she had some makeup on. And my brain immediately thought not so nice thoughts about her. I, I felt disdain towards her. And anytime you have disdain for somebody or something else, your brain, your subconscious mind gets the message, we will not be that thing. So by looking at this cute mom and comparing myself to her and being like, ugh, you know, I, I, how can she look so put together? It made my, it, it taught my brain to think we will not look cute at any cost because that is something that we disdain. That is something we don't like. And that's not a message you want to send to your brain. Your brain will literally prevent you from becoming something you disdain. So instead, how can you look at this person as someone you can relate to? What do you like about them? How can you humanize them so that whatever they've achieved seems more attainable to your subconscious mind rather than like, nope, not going to do that. As it turns out, the cute mom was actually really nice. Go figure. (sighs) When you're feeling comparison, there are two things you can do to turn that around. Number one, have perspective. We often compare our beginning to someone else's middle. So somebody, anybody else has a different story than you. They've got different biochemistry than you. They've got different struggles. They've got different successes. So whatever seems easy to them, maybe they are a year and a half into their journey and you've just started. Have perspective and give yourself the grace and the patience to have it take time to, to, to be on your own journey. Your journey is not the same as theirs. Never compare your beginning to someone else's middle. Number two, flip it to inspiration. Instead of feeling jealous or envious of somebody who is where you want to be, instead, flip it to inspiration. How is their progress evidence of what's possible? How can what they've achieved be inspiring to you to be like, if they can do it, maybe I can too. Choose the thoughts that set you up for success, not for failure. Comparing yourself to others can be useful if you use it as a source of insight and possibility rather than a weapon you use against yourself. Be grateful for what that person's accomplishment means for what's possible for you. Be grateful for the ideas that their success can give you on your path to success. Maybe they've got a hack that they can share with you. Whatever it is, cultivate gratitude. There's no competition on the field of gratitude because everyone wins. There's enough for everyone to win and step into their full self when you use that feeling of envy as an opportunity for gratitude. 
there's only one you. And when there's only one of something, it literally cannot be compared. So you don't have to feel like you need to compare yourself to others because you literally are incomparable. You are a perfect representation of the divine. Mm. Mm, So good. All right. Number six, the sixth most common self-sabotaging thought is vanity. Oh, how many of us feel like it is vain to uh, say, I look beautiful or to be like, dang, I am hot today. How many of us were conditioned either overtly or subvertly? Is that a word? Subconsciously? I don't know. Either out loud or, or by the messages from society that like, don't shine too bright because you'll be uh, offensive to somebody else. It's the tall poppy syndrome. You, if you don't want to flaunt your, what you got because you could get cut down for, for being too proud of yourself. And so a lot of us feel like it's vain to want to look good or it's vain to spend time you know, working on yourself and looking buff. And, and we even, again, have disdain for those people who do look amazing. We get very mixed messages from society. On the one hand, it's important to look good. Looking good is like a type of currency. And yet if we think that we look good or we want to look sexy, then that's egotistical. We have to look good while not actually thinking we look good. It's a no-win situation. And so it's understandable that we would feel conflicted about that. But here's something to consider. Is it selfish to feel confident and at ease in your body and proud of yourself? Let me ask you this. What would you tell your daughter or your niece or, you know, a young woman who wants to feel confident and proud of herself? Would you tell her that she's selfish? How does feeling confident in your body free you up to be authentically you and bring your best self into the world? Listen, wanting to look good and feel good is not egotistical. It's not vain. It's wanting to show up in the world as your best self, and there is nothing wrong with that. Bringing your full self to the world and offering your gifts gifts with confidence is one of the most valuable things you can do in this life. If you've ever felt like you've worried about wanting to look good and how that might make you selfish, maybe that's somebody else's thoughts that you've learned from somewhere else. Maybe that's somebody else's truth that you embodied or or digested and became your own at some point when you were younger. You get to choose your own truth. You get to decide what's true for you. So I'll ask you, what would you like to believe about what it means to care for your body and care about your appearance and care about looking good? What would you like that to mean for you? Hmm? All right, last one's a doozy. Number seven, most common self-sabotaging thought is permission. This one applies mostly to the ladies in the group, to moms in particular, that we are so used to taking care of others. Uh, There's always someone in need of something else, something that needs to get done. And how do we say, no, I'm not helping you or fixing this right now because I'm taking care of me? How do we give ourselves permission to put ourselves first? or even permission to feel good about self-care. Sometimes the hardest part is to receive. I don't know about you, but lots of us are givers. You know, it's easy to give help. Like, yeah, I'll always lend a hand. It's, It's easy, it feels good to give help, but it's hard to ask for help and it's hard to receive that help. And so let me, let me say this. Um, you know that feeling when you give your child a gift 
And it's so fun to watch them open their present. And it's just so, you feel so much love for them. And they're so excited about it. You're like, yay, you love our gift. What if God is like that with us? It's almost like Christmas morning. When we don't give ourselves permission to receive, we're like a little kid on Christmas morning who's like, oh, thanks for the present, but I don't really need this. And actually, I'm going to go do my homework. Like, what a downer. What if everything in life, including your body, is like a present from God on Christmas morning and he just can't wait to see your eyes light up and feel the joy in reveling and receiving his awesome gift? How does God feel when he gives you a gift and you're like, ah, I don't deserve this? What a bummer, huh? Listen, receiving is supposed to feel good. Giving yourself that permission to receive to allow yourself to rest, to allow yourself to take time to take care of yourself, whether it's to go work out or go get a massage or do nothing, take a nap. It is supposed to feel good. What if each day is an opportunity to be that kid who is just so excited about their gifts and make God feel so awesome at the same time? Just like you feel when you give your kid a present on Christmas morning and they love it. That is the best feeling. What if allowing yourself to receive is divine? Not only that, as I said a minute ago, giving, helping feels really good, right? Like it, it feels good to be needed. And when you help somebody and they appreciate it, you're like, wow, that feels awesome. What if by you receiving is allowing somebody else to get that high of that, that helper's high? What if by you slowing down and giving yourself permission to take time for yourself empowers someone in your family to step up and feel ownership over something? Maybe you can empower your kids to fold the laundry. Uh, You know, I really, you know, ask them to be on your team and say, I need your help. I'm doing these things to try and help me get healthier. And I could use some support from you because it's a team. It takes a team and it's not like a burden on them. You're asking them to help you rather than do a chore. So when you're thinking about, I just don't have time to take care of myself or everybody needs something, it's just I my needs come last. Number one, it's normal. We've been conditioned to do that. It's okay. And you can open yourself up to allow yourself to receive. Sometimes that is the biggest challenge of, of anything, much less weight loss. But allowing yourself to receive the gift of time for yourself, the gift of nourishing food, the gift of help from others. And it's not only, you know, a lot of times we think of it as selfish if we if we take time for ourselves. But I would encourage you to think of it, number one, receiving and giving yourself permission to take time and, and revel in yourself and take care of your body is being like that kid on Christmas morning, loving their gift that they got from God. And number two, when you enlist people to help you, when you empower them to be part of your team and ask them to help, that actually gives them a gift of feeling helpful. And that's wonderful too. So give yourself permission to receive. You know, we've all heard the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And honestly, most of my life, I viewed that uh, from the perspective of, you know, be nice to other people. But as I've grown older, It seems like a lot of people, and us women especially, are able to be nice to others, but we're not so nice to ourselves. And I wonder, 
What if that commandment is telling us to love yourself in the same way that you love others? Listen, you have something special that only you can bring to the world. And by taking care of yourself, you are giving yourself permission to be all of you and bring your unique light to shine on others in your special way. And we need you. We need what you can bring. So please give yourself that permission to receive. We're counting on you. Okay, that was a lot today. That's what I got. The seven most common self-sabotaging thoughts. I hope this was helpful to you. Your one tiny confident action step to take from this episode is to think back through the seven most common ones. Which one seems to resonate with you most? Maybe it's falling off the wagon. Maybe it's, I don't want to let food go to waste. And just pick one, not seven, not five, not three, just one. Of those seven, which one resonates with you most? That's step one. And number two, how can you flip that thought a little bit next week so that you can use the formally disempowering, self-sabotaging thought as a trigger, as an opportunity, as an invitation to choose a more empowering thought this, this, this coming week. All right. So that's what I've got for you today. And remember, love yourself. You're the only one of you we've got. We need you. All right. Talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening today. Seriously. I know it's not a small thing and I genuinely appreciate it. And I hope it helped you. Make sure you head on over to confidentbody.coach slash tips and sign up for my seven top tips for little shifts that create big results so that you can start feeling confident in your body right now. I will see you next week. And until then, remember, you are a miracle.